Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. And now if you'll please join in the words for lighting the chalice, they're in your order of service. We light this chalice. Now I invite you to take a deep breath, to let your body relax into this time together. Let the quiet of this space fill your mind. Let the calm of this place fill your heart. Let the solace that can be found here fill your spirit. And listen. As this sound rings out, calling us home to ourselves, to our community, and to our highest aspirations. Breathe and listen. As many of you know, Kenneth Patton was the minister of this congregation for many years. He was also a prolific preacher and writer, and if you look in the author list of your gray hymnal, you will find him quoted many times. I've thought often about his ministry here because it was interesting, maybe daunting, for me to be coming into Ken Patton's pulpit decades later. I've thought a lot about the changes wrought in our wider Unitarian Universalist world and right here at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood since his retirement. Nothing stays the same, not really. Time marches on, we move forward, taking steps, intentional ones hopefully, toward a future that we vision and then build. But along with the inevitability of change, there is something else a deep need in the midst of that change to honor what has been, to offer gratitude for all the good, even as we recommit to a vision of the future. Today we're going to talk about what it looks like to hold gratitude for the past and vision for the future, to commit ourselves wholly to what we might build. So I want to open this morning with a reminder of what this place has been from the words of Reverend Kenneth Patton. He wrote, This house is for the ingathering of nature and human nature. It is a house of friendships, a haven in trouble, an open room for the encouragement of our struggle. It is a house of freedom, guarding the dignity and worth of every person. It offers a platform for the free voice, for declaring both in times of security and danger the full and undivided conflict of opinion. It is a house of truth-seeking, where scientists can encourage devotion to their quest, where mystics can abide in a community of searchers. It is a house of art, 
adorning its celebrations with melodies and handiworks. It is a house of prophecy, outrunning times past and times present in visions of growth and progress. This house is a cradle for our dreams, the workshop of our common endeavor. Ken Patton knew, as we all do, the power of a community such as this, the possibility inherent here. And so welcome this morning as we lean into possibility and purpose with gratitude and with commitment. Every Sunday that we gather, we make a special time in our service for quiet reflection, meditation, prayer. This time of silence that we hold together is yours to observe as you please. So settle yourself as you are comfortable in your seat. And begin to breathe deeply and slowly. This morning, as we gather, we do so with gratitude in our hearts for all those in the past who have built this house for our present. Those who gave of themselves to create this haven, this place of action, this place of love. We are filled with gratitude for their work and their commitment. In the silence, we think, too, with gratitude of all those whose lives have enabled our own. Loved ones who cherished us, helped us grow, built for us, paved the way for us, held us. In the silence, we offer our thanks each in our own way. As we keep breathing, we hold the truth of our gratitude alongside the truth of our own striving toward a larger vision, toward a better world. May we never forget the past that has created us. And may we never stop looking toward the future that we can help shape. A future of more peace, more hope, more joy, and more love. So this weekend, many folks from around the country are converging on Boston to see the Ministerial Fellowship Committee, known as the MFC, this is the body that assesses and judges candidates for the ministry in Unitarian Universalism. I saw them about six and a half years ago now, and I remember the trip pretty clearly, and I certainly remember the preparation. Candidates have to put together over 100 pages of material, transcripts, psychological career evaluations, self-assessments, supervisor reviews, essays, signed reading lists, and then, once you're there, you preach a 10-minute sermon in front of the MFC panel, and then they ask you questions for a good long while. Then you're ushered out of the room, and after such time as is needed for their deliberation, the panel calls you back in and lets you know how you've done. Can you go out and serve? Do you need more preparation? Have they found you so lacking as to deny you ordained you ministry forever? 
It happens. It's rare, but it happens. It is a nerve-wracking experience for most, truly harrowing for some, and generally an exciting time in the small world of UU ministers as we welcome new candidates into our ranks. It's also an interesting aspect of our tradition, this centralized vetting of ministers, because really, in truth, our congregations can ordain whoever they want and call whoever they want. The Unitarian Society of Ridgewood could, at a meeting of its membership, decide to ordain any among you and then put you in this pulpit right here. That reality is part of this thing that we have called congregational polity. And some of you, I'm sure, have heard me talk about this before. What congregational polity means is that every Unitarian Universalist congregation determines its own path, its own future. This means that we make our own decisions. It's all up to us. It's a bit of a blessing, a bit of a curse. We have no diocese, no central group telling us how to be or where to be or how to serve with each other. Our congregations are independent, responsible for themselves. And there's a good reason that we have this privilege and challenge. The forms of Unitarianism in this country developed out of early 18th century congregational churches in the Northeast, mainly Massachusetts, These congregational churches were solidly in the vein of the Protestant Revolution, which declared that priests and their inaccessible rituals were inconsistent with the actual scripture. In 1648, there was a document produced called the Cambridge Platform, and it laid out all the ideas of congregational religious organization. The authors of this text believed that they read in their scriptures that the congregation was the highest and most important form of church leadership. That Jesus and other early leaders envisioned not a vast hierarchy, but a devoted and committed group of believers who supported and helped each other. One of the key aspects of the Cambridge Platform was the notion that what bound them together was desire, meaning they weren't compelled to be there by society or God or heaven or hell, Individuals and congregations associated voluntarily. They argued in the platform that because churches were voluntary and their connectedness across congregational lines was voluntary, that the congregation itself was the highest authority. They believed congregations were autonomous. This is very consistent with a Protestant belief in the ability of individuals to interpret scripture to understand God, to grasp the higher concepts of life and meaning, and to make choices for themselves. The Protestant Revolution made possible these congregationalist churches that gave rise to our modern forms of Unitarian Universalism. These were folks who believed in the human capacity for depth and understanding, in the human ability to reason and be rational, Congregational polity was a natural outgrowth of their theological understanding of the human being, but it also embodied a faith in the individual's capacity to commit to a community over the long haul, through challenge and through change. So this is a blessing and a curse because it tests our ability for compassion and gentle listening, and it tests our commitment. I think all of us probably know the temptation to walk away when something isn't going our way. 
We are as susceptible to that temptation in our congregational life as anywhere else in our lives. When change comes, as it inevitably does, the individualism inherent in congregational polity can be a challenge for us. It makes me think of this show that I know I have told you about before, and I know some of you have gone and found it, and if you haven't, please do. It's called The Vicar of Dibley. It's a British sitcom about a small-town priest named Geraldine. Please go watch it. There's one episode where the windows of the church are destroyed in a storm. There are these big, beautiful stained-glass windows, and it turns out that no one can remember what they actually depicted. Some think it was Jesus feeding the masses, others the Sermon on the Mount. It turns out in the end it was Noah's Ark. <laughs> they start asking around in the parish, what do you want in the new windows? Birds, dinosaurs, and more are suggested. So Geraldine the priest, she goes out and she raises money for these new, beautiful stained glass windows. And then she sees a bit on the news about an earthquake half a world away. And she ends up sending most of the money they raised to the relief effort, and puts in clear windows where the stained glass was. At the end of the episode, the surprised parishioners look out as the sun sets over the village, and they find that they're happy because it's TV. They're happy now <laughs> to be able to see this most wonderful view in the village, the view of the glory of the earth. So of course, it doesn't cover this, but I like to think that none of the congregants left because of the window decision. <laughs> I like to think that their little Anglican community had plenty of folks that were disappointed, but that they stayed, because in the end, a window is a window. But the community that's built and made over time is something that cannot be replaced. We have a fiercely independent history built on the Protestant Revolution and on congregationalism in this country, and that's good. But sometimes we can err on the side of thinking that congregational life is just for us that if we don't get our way, we're not going to commit ourselves as fully, or that if the window is replaced clear rather than with Noah's Ark, we're done. But a congregation is not its windows. It's not its building. It's not its minister or its town. A congregation is not even just its RE program or adult seminars or fellowship feast. What the congregationalists knew is that a congregation is its people. A congregation is its self-governing, community-committed, past-honoring, future-looking people. And it is the home that those people create together. I think Ken Patton was right about what was here, what continues to be here, a haven, a place of dignity and peace, a place that is also ever-growing. So there are gifts here, gifts that I can clearly see and I'm sure you can clearly see too, gifts for which I am deeply grateful, as I'm sure you are. There is the gift of music and art. Every single Sunday there's music from Ron or the choir or guests, music that pushes the musicians and pushes us, music that comes from the heart and the spirit to help expand our experience of being together. There are hymns that are familiar and remind us of childhood and also hymns that are new and confusing and force us to come together to try and figure them out. There's music that helps us unlock feeling and memory and emotion. And every month, I get to see it. You don't get to see it because you face the wrong way. But every month, there's art on the walls that helps us look beyond this space, that asks us to see more than this building and ourselves. 
There's also the gift here of congregational caring. It happens in small ways at coffee hour or in committees or in small groups. It happens through pastoral care and the caring committee when rides are given or cards are sent, meals are delivered, hospital visits made. There's support that happens through life's challenges. There is the gift of providing a safe and open place for our children to grow in their own understanding, in their commitment to equality and compassion, in their understanding of their own journeys. Every Sunday when our children are up here with us or if they're downstairs in their classes, whenever they gather together, we are giving them the infinitely precious gift of a place where they can be exactly who they are. There's the gift of love and support that all of you give each other that invites all of us, no matter our age, to be exactly who we are. There's the gift of working for what is right in the wider world, the justice work and the education and the advocacy being done on so many varied topics with enthusiasm and with joy and with hope. And there's generosity everywhere here. People give the gift of their time and their talents and their love. And that's one thing Ken Patton didn't mention. This is a house of generosity, a house of voluntarily associated individuals brought together by a desire to give and receive so that we might live the best way we know how in this world. This is a community committed to giving each other gifts and to receiving gifts in so many different forms. Because we know that it is both in the giving and in the receiving that we find joy. We find joy taking care of each other and being taken care of. We find freedom and grounding and wholeness. Sharon Salzberg notes in that reading that we are better able to confront the entirety of our lives, the good and the bad, when we are constantly cultivating in ourselves the ability to give and to receive. That's who we are community of givers and receivers, making space in our own and in each other's lives, creating strength and solidity so that we can embrace and endure all that is difficult. This is a house that pours out love without expectation of return, simply because we know it's what's right, because we know that a life grounded in love will help us be our best selves and will help us help the world. I am grateful for the gifts of this haven, this congregation, and its people. I feel gratitude for those who've built this place that we get to call home. And I absolutely believe that one way to honor the past, one way to thank those who came before, is to build on their vision. One way to say thank you is to keep striving toward the good, creating a world of hope, looking to the future to expand their vision. We take what they built and we add. We integrate new learnings, new understandings, and we stretch their vision even further than they could ever have dreamed. One way we honor them and the work and the sacrifices they made is that we commit ourselves to the work, to the sacrifices, to the building, the generosity, the visioning, and the creating. Because for all that is wonderful here, and there is a lot, for all that is to be respected and honored, we can still grow. Just as foundational in some ways as congregational polity is our Unitarian Universalist belief that our faith, our lives, our growth and development is a journey, an ongoing process. We are not ever done becoming. We are always reaching toward something as individuals and as a community. 
Part of continuing on that journey is envisioning what might be. We can't predict it. We know that. Life hands us many unexpected things. But we also know that we have to set a vision, set priorities, and try to get there. We have to adjust and adapt when surprises come our way. But we also have to be taking steps forward. As individuals, we set goals for ourselves often at the new year. Being kinder, being more forgiving, having more patience with our children, being more generous, spending more time with our partners. We set goals and we try to achieve them. We talk here about our goals for the wider world. We talk about wanting and working for a world community of peace where justice and equality are the order of the day, where people are safe and secure, where people are cared for and no one goes hungry. We set those visions and we work for them out in the world. We don't think it's enough to simply want them or wish them. We work hard for them. So too, we have to set goals for this place and this community. We have to have a vision for who we can be built on who we are, a people of commitment grounded in love, bound together by voluntary association. And what we can become, I think, is a community even more relevant in the lives of those of us who are here, but also even more relevant in our community at large. We can go deeper, further, become more. Often in minister circles, we talk about something called full week faith. The idea here is that instead of just being something we do on Sundays, our Unitarian Universalism, our values, our concerns, our demands for justice must become something that we live all week long. Not just on Sundays, but every day. We want to be thinking about our lives, living them with intention. We want to be concerned with the most important matters of life every single day. And similarly, we want this place to be vital in our lives integral but also living, vibrant, and ever-changing every day. We talk about what it looks like here to be welcoming and inviting. We do this pretty well, but we can always do more. We can make sure that people know this is a safe place where they can be themselves. We can make sure that everyone who walks through our door or meets us out in the world knows that there is a place, a people, a home that accepts them and embraces diversity and longs for a world that is loving of all people. And we can always do more in the world of justice. We do a lot already. But what more could we be doing to work against poverty, against hunger, against the drug epidemic? What more could we be doing to fight racism, to ensure equal treatment for women, immigrants, minorities? What more could we be doing to partner with other agencies in our area so that everyone knows us as allies, supporting the work of other local institutions? Grounded in, sustained by the care and love we give each other, we have so much to offer the world in terms of good works, and we can always be taking steps to do more. A vision of this community becoming part of our everyday lives, of this community becoming more deeply part of our local fabric, of this community supporting and sustaining each other and thus enabling justice work in the world is not a new vision. What we're talking about, truly, is a recommitment to the journey we are already on to grow ourselves and to transform the world. That's our mission statement. We are talking about a deepening, a widening, a furthering of the work we already do. We're talking about walking step by step along our journey of congregational becoming, aware that we will never reach an end destination. The journey goes on, the journey toward greater faith, greater understanding, greater justice, greater love. 
Every year, as you know from Sally's announcement this morning, we have an annual pledge drive so that we know what kind of budget we have for the next congregational year. Each year, or most years at least, I will stand up here and I will preach about generosity and fullness and how we have to fight against a culture of scarcity and fear. And often I'll ask you to think about what this place means to you and to think about how much you spend on coffee every month or your cable bill. But this year, I just keep coming back to the privilege and responsibility of congregational polity that asks us to commit ourselves to building on the past and creating a new future. Because congregational polity doesn't just mean that we govern ourselves, it means that we support ourselves. Unitarian Universalist congregations are entirely self-funded. It is the generous giving of committed folks that enable congregations to run and do good work. No central body gives us money. In fact, we give them money. <laughs> a congregation is its people, and also a congregation in Unitarian Universalism, its budget is from its people. That's a heavy responsibility, because it means it's all on us. And it's a privilege, because it affords us the opportunity, year after year, to live into a full commitment, to give openly and freely, and to feel the joy inherent in that. The connection and expansiveness identified by Salzburg and Sims in our readings this morning. Each year we have an opportunity to practice unselfish commitment and faith grounded in love. Because every year when we make our pledges, we make them not knowing what changes the next year might bring. We make them because we believe that our community, our beloved and devoted community, will do good things. We'll make strides as individuals and as a collective toward greater growth in mind and spirit and toward a world of justice and equality. We pledge unsure of the future, but committed to bringing about something beautiful. When we pledge, we take a step that creates spaciousness of the sort Salzburg identifies. We take a step that generates life, as Sims says, that continues the miracle of constant becoming. We take a step toward energy, positivity, creativity, the expansion of all these things by whatever means we can envision. Salzburg wrote about how we can give gifts in many forms, material, time, energy, love, talent, in that giving and receiving, we are continuing our commitment to the law of sharing, not the law of scarcity. In living into a belief in abundance, we expand our ability to create life, to give new life, to generate new passions and interests and creations, and to deepen, build, and expand the best of what we already are. In doing it, we honor those who built this home, and we express our commitment to continuing the journey. So what we're asking of you when the pledge drive comes around each year is that you exercise your privilege of liberal faith by committing yourself to this community in every way you can, aware that you will be part of creating what comes next here, aware that change is constant but a community is sustained by its people, aware that you are part of the self-sustaining nature of this place, not just in terms of pledge support, but by your very presence by the sharing of your unique life here, you help create this home. This year, I especially want to invite you to share your vision of the future with me. Let me know what you want for this home. What do you think it looks like for us to build on the past? What is your vision of our shared future? I really do want you to tell me. I'm not just saying that. Please tell me. 
right? What do you see us doing to build on the place that Ken Patton described? Together, this morning, we commit ourselves to creating a community ever more filled with hope, love, peace, and joy. Ever more welcoming, ever more active, ever more transforming and transformative. With gratitude and commitment in our hearts, we open ourselves once more to the possibilities of this beloved place. May we become ever more truly the description that Ken Patton offered of this house that is a home, but even more... May we push the limits of that description, expanding our vision and building something beyond even our wildest dreams. So may it be. Please remain standing and join in the words for extinguishing the chalice. They're printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame. And the energy of action burn bright in our hearts until we are together again. What we can be is vast, open, full of possibility. Together we can achieve our goals, become the people, the congregation we are meant to be, and create the world we want to live in. So may it be. Go in peace. <laughs>